0: Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Let's give Let's give God a hand clap this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for for that ovation. Amen. You know what? I was here on Saturday morning for our Saturday morning prayer service, and it was just a tremendous time with God. And uh, when people get together like this, and and I want to welcome all of you that are here, when people get together and and, and with a like-mindedness to worship God, things start to break, things start to happen. Not only inside the service, it's not just about a holistic experience, but it's about your individual experience with the Lord. It's about what is happening in your life. What are you allowing God to do in your life? And I say that with caution this morning, because some of us are on different levels of that allowance with God. We're going to allow God to maybe change our life, or we're going to allow God just to, you know, passively change my life. In other words, are you chasing God, or are you kind of just waiting, waiting back for Him? Just trying to see what He's going to do. And so uh, this morning, I have the, the honor and privilege to deliver a message to you that I've been working on for quite some time. I have a lot that's what that means. Um, you're going to be here for a while. Um, I'm, just, I'm just messing. I'm on a timer, so I'm going to do my best this morning. But I also want to just give thanks to Pastor Omar and Sister Letty and the pastoral team just for entrusting me in the Word this morning. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping it can really impact your life. Um, how many of us like to have control in our lives? I like to have control in my life. But, you know, honestly, having control is 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 really subjective on, on exactly what does that mean having control and then how do we gain control how do, how do we gain control in our life uh, just recently i made a decision to make a little bit of a career change in my personal life And I've had to struggle with this topic of, am I doing too much, or is this this where God wants me? Am I going after it, maybe just a little bit too hard, and maybe this is not where God wants me? And I found myself praying in the negative, saying, God, if this is not the opportunity you want for me, close the door on it. That's gaining control. So with that, I'm going to pray. Let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship with you, and and to, and to have an experience with you. And we just pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to your people. Father, that it wouldn't be my words or my voice, but it would be your voice. Use me as your vessel to deliver your word. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I became a Christian, I, I, I told myself, I have to reconcile some things that I don't understand. When I accepted Christ... I was told that he died for me and he loved me. In other words, he, he thought about me. But I, I had to reconcile the question of why would God care about me if I didn't care about him? Anyone ever have that question? I'm the only one. Okay, I'm the only one this morning. But why would God care about me if I don't necessarily care about him? Because at the time I accepted Christ, it wasn't like I was caring about God all the time the years before that. For those of you that don't know, I accepted Christ at an early age of 18. I know I'm 20 now, so I haven't been saved that long. Okay, some of you are awake. This is good. We're going to have fun. But, you know, I've, I accepted Christ at the age of 18. I got serious with my life, and I asked myself, why would he actually care about me if I had no interest with, you know, in him for many years? I didn't think about him. I didn't care. I wanted to, you know, as growing up, I just cared what I got on Christmas and on my birthday. I was really selfish. You know, I had these selfish desires. I didn't care about God. I didn't think about him a whole lot, you know. But our God loves us so much that he cared for us. The scriptures tell us that. Not only does he care for us, as I begin to unpack the word, I started to believe in, in the things of God. I started to study the things of God. I realized not only does he care for us, but he then, he, he then puts his spirit in us. And that was a little different. That, that, that set something apart inside of me. Like, Okay, not only am I going to have to follow Christ, believe, but now there's something inside of me that he's instilled into us. See, we're wicked, we're, we're broken. When we come into this earth, we're fractured. We're, we have this spirit of sin inside of us, but God still loves us, right? And even in our wickedness, even as Christians, God gives us favor in our lives. He gives us favor, and what that word favor means, it's something done or granted out of his good will. Rather than from justice or a kind act, he's just giving us favor, even when we fall short. Because when we're Christians, we understand everything that he's done for us. We've accepted him, but yet we still dabble in sin. We still deny him in our lives. We don't give him full control because we think we want complete control. We don't want to relinquish everything to something we never see. And so what we do is we we hold back. And even in that, even in that wickedness, because that's even more wicked than not believing in him, Right, You truly believe in him, you should relinquish it. But the fact that you do believe in him, but yet you still hold back is a problem. It's like a double offense. Because now you're just being, you're just being rude. You're, just, you're ruining that relationship with him. You're saying, I believe him, but then your actions speak different. You're being hypocritical. And this is a lot of reasons why people don't like to come to church. Because they say, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites in church. They say, well, there's a lot of hypocrites out there too. (laughs) So, you know, I hate to tell you, you're around hypocrites all the time. It's just, it's going to happen. But the Lord's favor is something beautiful because even in our wickedness, he still gives us favor. In Isaiah chapter 61, we see this in verse 1 and 2. It talks about the Lord's favor. Isaiah writes this. He says, "The the The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this is Isaiah talking. Right? So we see that we get this favor, even though we're fractured, even though we have this indwelling of sin. And I want to just talk to you briefly about that. You have an indwelling of sin in you. Now, you may have heard the indwelling of the Spirit. Jesus tells us that. But you also have an indwelling of sin. You come into this world, and you're sinful, you're fractured, you're broken. And so in Romans chapter 7, verse 16, Paul writes this, he says, but if I practice what I do, not will to do, I agree with the law that is, that is good. So now it is no longer that I do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's that word, the indwelling, sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will to do what is right is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good I desire to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not want is what I do. So... Again, it's that struggle. How many of us can relate to Paul in Romans chapter 7? That is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's kept me saved for so long because I realize I sometimes do the things that I do not want to do. And so Paul's being very transparent. And when I think about that, I think, here's this man of God that is just this, this you know, beautiful example, discipling, planting churches, and yet he's talking about the indwelling of sin in his own life. But Jesus tells us about the indwelling of the Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, for it does not see him, neither does it know him, but you know him, For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. So the message remains clear it's a battle. You're in conflict. You have an indwelling of sin and you have an indwelling of the Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, that Spirit's already birthed in you. If you're listening to the words of my voice, I am bringing enlightenment to some of you that you have a conflict. So, you're not the only one struggling today, amen? You're not the only one that is in this battle. But the problem that you have is if you're in battle, it doesn't mean you're in complete freedom. It doesn't mean that you're in complete control. Warfare is something serious. You have friction in warfare. It doesn't mean that you have been rescued. It doesn't mean any of that. It means you are in a conflict. You are in a battle. So that's why we tell you come to prayer. That's why we tell you come to church on time. Go to connect group because we understand that you are in conflict and that you are in a battle. And Paul understands that. But the message remains clear. In Romans chapter 24 to 25, Paul says this to end this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, even though he's in a conflict, even though he's in a battle, I'm going to give praise to God. Amen. And that's what is happening with Paul. He is trying to unpack something very, very, very peculiar to us. That yes, you are in a battle. You have no control. You're not in freedom. There is this friction. There is this conflict of an indwelling of the the spirit. And there's the indwelling of sin. And it's fighting for your life. The enemy wants you. And God wants you. And yet you still have this internal conflict. So how do we overcome this? You have to obtain control. Even in the midst of a battle, you have to you have to maintain control. I know in my life I've 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 you know had moments where I felt like I've had no control, and you know where it's found me? Because God hasn't put his spirit in me, it's found me on my knees at the altar praying to God. Because I have no control. And trust me, I'm a very, I, I, I want control of my life. I love, I under, me and Pastor Isaac were just talking in there. I like analytics. I like to see things, make decisions. I want to have control. But at the same time, there's this conflict where I need to trust in God. I need to relinquish that control. I need to trust God with my children. I need to trust God in every aspect of my life. I need to trust God with my marriage. I need to trust God with my career. I need to do all those things. If I truly believe that he's almighty and all-powerful, why wouldn't I do those things? It's more than just saying it. It's actually living it, showing your actions. God is not looking for somebody just to talk to, to lie to him. He's looking at the actions we ask God, God, I want forgiveness. Do you really want forgiveness? God, I want healing. Do you really want healing? God, can you please rescue my family from this situation? Do you really want to be rescued? Because it's going to cost you this, relinquishing all control. There is a conflict in our lives. But to obtain freedom, you need to give up your worldly freedom. This is an interesting concept. Right? You, in other words, it's going to cost freedom to get freedom. You guys ever hear this business concept that takes money to make money, right? It's the same thing. Just like a soldier, if if he wants to provide freedom, he has to give up his own freedom, right? And if you want freedom, you're gonna have to give up that freedom of the worldly desires. You're gonna have to give up all of that. You're going to have to give up the things that you love the most in this life, right? Some of us have come from dark places where we've had given up drugs. We had to give up, you know, maybe women. We have to give up, you know, uh, drinking, you know, or whatever habit it may be. You've had to give that up to move forward. In other words, in order to obtain freedom, you have to give up the worldly freedom. In order to get the spiritual freedom, you have to give up the worldly freedom that's keeping you back from that. Amen? You have to give up things. Because it takes money to get money, it takes freedom to get freedom. So you have to give it up, you have to begin to move forward. This is that conflict. So in 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes this, he says, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, I kinda just went down this rundown of this flesh and spirit battle. For you theologians out there, you know all about this, but this is something that we like to preach is is sin. We like to preach sin. We don't like to hide it. So I want to talk to you about how to gain back control, and it's going to require me talking about sin today. So in other other words, we, we need to reconcile several understandings about sin to start the process of gaining control, right? The number one thing I want you to know, you need to understand that sin is not freedom, it's the complete absence of freedom. It's the complete, it's a complete darkness in your life is sin. Sin is trying to keep you away from obtaining freedom. The enemy has confused us to think today that sin is freedom. Right, And there are plenty of scriptures telling us that sin is the absence of any freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the apostle Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, we have to be led by God's spirit. Paul is telling us we need to be able to overcome and be led by the spirit. See, the battle does not equal freedom. You just simply saying, come into church and just simply saying, God, I believe in you, that doesn't necessarily give you freedom. Your freedom is, is, is based on your act of liberation. In other words, God, I want less of me and more of you. Again, I'm not the, if you read your Bible, this is nothing new to you. But if you want true liberation from this world, it's going to cost you dying to yourself to gain the freedom that you want, to gain the control that you want. See, I don't know about you, but I want God walking with me. In my life, I don't want to be wrapped up in change, uh, in chains. I I want to be walking with God and walking near and close to Him, right? But this friction between sin and the Lord is very tough in our lives, where it begins to distract us, and in, in and we have to walk in that spirit. See, there's a a battle between flesh and spirit in your life. The only time you can experience freedom is when you're suppressing the flesh. You're saying, I don't want to do these things anymore, Lord. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans 7. Right? I don't want it consuming my life. I don't want friends that are going to tempt me away from the things of God. I'd rather want Jesus. I want friends that are going to surround me and begin to uplift me in prayer, begin to uplift my spirit, because I understand I am at war inside. I have a conflict, and I have no control when I am at war. In John chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he can't Cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we have to elevate our spirit, folks. We can't just sit here and say, Look, I go to reach church, so I'm gonna be okay. This is simply, you know, point zero out of ten steps in your life is to come to church. This is just the very beginning. Going to church doesn't get you into heaven. It is literally you dying to yourself and being uplifted in the Spirit is what gets you there. See, some of us have a belief that, you know, some of us believe, but that doesn't mean we are walking in the Spirit. Are you walking in the Spirit today? See, one person that astounds me is King David. I've been reading a lot about King David recently, in the probably past few months. And here's, here's a list of accomplishments for King David. It's pretty interesting. So this is this is this is a list of his accomplishments. Number one, he was anointed as a boy, as a child. Because the Bible says that he was in Samuel, the, the scripture's written that uh, he was a man after God's own heart. So God looked to him as favor, God looked to him as, as someone that is a leader. So he anoints him as a boy, then he defeats Goliath. People begin to see God working through him because God has given him that favor. He becomes this huge leader. Then he becomes king, okay? And he's known as the the first great Jewish king in Jewish history. And any history book would say this, that King David, it doesn't have to be the Bible, any history book which would have this recorded, that King David was the first great Jewish king because he unites the tribes of Israel. He brings everybody together. God sees that he, here's this boy who begins to go after God's own heart, and he begins to anoint him because he realizes that David is no longer walking in the spirit or in the flesh, but rather he's chasing the things of the spirit. So he unites the tribes of Israel. Then he establishes Israel as a nation. This makes the Israelites happy. They're like, we're finally a nation. We're no longer roaming the desert. We finally have a place to live. We're no longer nomadic, but we have the kingdom of Israel, and this is exactly what we wanted. So then David does, even a step further, he brings the Ark of the Covenant back. For those of you who know, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant. This is the presence of God. He's bringing it back to Israel. David accomplishes all these things, has an amazing title as king. Everybody loved him. But there was an issue. David had the flesh, just like you and I. And there's a, there a story of David and Bathsheba, which we're going to read today in 2 Kings chapter 11. This was a time where David, it was a time of war, and David should be out in the battlefield, but he stayed back in his palace. And so as his nation is at war, David is just remaining back, and he sees this beautiful woman, the Bible says, named Bathsheba, and She's bathing. She's her bathing on the roof, and, and he sees he's looking at her, and he's lusting after her. So he says, hey, you know what? Guards, come here. Go get that woman and bring her to me. And then David ends up being intimate with Bathsheba. But what, what, it, what he does realize at this time is he's gotten Bathsheba in a tough spot because she's married. She's married to somebody named Uriah. And he's the one fighting in battle. When David should be battling, he's dealing with temptation. He's calling in Bathsheba. But then her husband is the one out there fighting in battle. So Bathsheba becomes pregnant. Don't mess around because it could happen. So now David is in a tough spot. And let's look at what this man of God does. In 2 Samuel chapter 11... Verse 4, it says, so David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and he laid with her. And when she had purified herself from the uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived. She sent a message and reported to David that I am pregnant. Then David sent an order to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to me. So that's her husband. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about the welfare of Joab the people and the fighting. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the house of the king and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the house of the king without the servants of his lord. He did not go down to his house. So we see what David's doing. Hey, uh, come back from war. Uriah, go go sleep with your wife. Go do it, man. In other words, David's trying to cover it up. In verse 10, we can, it continues on. When, Dave, when they reported to David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah responded to David. The ark, Israel, and Judah dwell in makeshift shelters. My lord Joab and the officers, officers of my lord are camping in the open field, but I may enter my house to eat, to drink, and to sleep with my wife as you live... As, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. In other words, he didn't feel that it was very honorable for him to come home and sleep with his wife. He wants to be at war considering his brothers are fighting out there. Verse 12 goes on to say, David said to Uriah, remain here another day and I will send you back tomorrow. Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the following day. Now check this out. David tries it again. He says this. Now David invited him to eat in his presence. And he drank until he got Uriah drunk. In the evening, he went to lie down in his lodging with the servants of his Lord, but he still did not go down to his house. So he's trying to cover it up. He failed again. Check this out in verse 14. That morning, David wrote a message to Joab and sent it by the way of Uriah. He wrote in the message, send Uriah to the front lines where the fighting is the heaviest, then withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. Third time, he tried to cover it up. And so what ends up taking place is Uriah is struck down. But you can only imagine Uriah being this honorable soldier, this man that would not sleep with his wife, but rather he felt like he needed to be out in the battlefield. The hardest part of that whole thing for me was to understand that David was so vile to the point where he said, I want you to send him on the front line and I want you to turn your back on him. I want you to withdraw everybody else so that he dies. Wickedness lives in sometimes in the, in the lightest of places. I'm real, I I come to remember the you know, scriptures of, of how Satan is is you know he's looking for to deceive everybody. He's on a hunt. David here completely tries to cover up his sin. This is somebody that knows everything. It's somebody that even wrote in the Psalms, the book of Psalms, but yet we see a failure here from David. It's a character flaw. Something that he decided, you know what, I don't, I'm gonna hide this because I am that powerful. See, when we start to walk with God a lot of the times, we start to forget things. And look at this. There's a penalty to this. I want to read it to you in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's very clear what the penalty is. See, God is very wrathful towards David. This is what he says. And this is coming through the prophet of Nathan. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife as a wife for yourself. You killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Now the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is what the Lord says. See, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and I will give them to your neighbor. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Although you did it secretly, I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you've utterly scorned the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to scorn the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. The Lord struck the child that... The wife of Uriah had born for David, and he became sick. This is a very sad situation. When is up happening? I'm just going to tell you the end of the story, because it's segregated by chapters. David knows this, and he sees his son getting sick. And so he goes, and he prays, and he fasts for days. And he's begging God, spare this kid's life. Spare my child's life, Lord. Spare my child's life. Imagine the feeling of ownership he's taking at this moment. And you know what ends up happening? The child dies. I'm here to tell you, you need to understand that sin makes you forget who God is. If you're dabbling in sin, you're going to forget who God really is. You're going to forget that he's omniscient, that he's all-knowing. You're going to forget that he's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. You're going to forget that he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Sin does a good job of making you forget that. You know what it also makes you forget? It makes you forget the consequences. When the enemy is crouching at the door, he really is crouching at the door. When you leave the door of your house he's already crouching at the door. He's trying to get you. The moment you leave your house, he's trying to get you. He wants to get you out of your comfort zone. And so when we're not right, when we're not allowing God to move in our life, and we're in this conflict, we have no control. The only way we have control is when we're in the spirit. But sin makes you forget who God is. It's a very sad story. Even though David... The Bible says that David, even though he fasted, he did all the right things, just like we do. When, we're in, when there's a circumstance, what are we are going to do? We're going to fast, we're going to believe, right? But we forget who God is. And sometimes, even in the times where God, I, please, you know, heal this person, heal that, I catch myself saying, God, but let your will be done. Let me not forget your will. I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, but I'm not going to forget your will. And through this process, I'm going to continue to love you, regardless of the circumstances. This is what we need to do in our lives, because we're at conflict. This is how we gain control. We let it go, and we say, God, you're in control, and I'm going to trust in you. Stop trying to get salvation on your own timing in between sins. Salvation is, is complete freedom. But some of us are in between sins. We're trying to find salvation. When it's like, no, do away with sin. Don't go in between sins. Like, well, you know, I hit a rough patch. I was sinning a little bit. I went to the bar. I had a few drinks. Or, you know, I, I went over here. I, went out, I was talking to this girl. I was flirting with her. You know, I was doing this. And, no, 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 no. I don't know why I feel like saying this, but I'm going to say it. We have a saying here. If you flirt with it, you're going to fall for it. I think I heard that from Pastor Isaac. (laughs) I think it was one of his sermons he said that. If you flirt with it, you're going to fall for it, right? It's the same with sin. You flirt with sin, you're going to fall for sin. You dabble with sin, you're going to fall for it, and what it does is it makes you forget. You're going to start to forget the things of God. It'll make you forget quickly, and it'll also make you forget the consequences. The other thing I want you to know you need to understand sin encourages you to cut corners in life. See, control is not cutting corners. You know, I get the, the famous question all the time. Is like, Pastor Rob, how far is too far, though? Yeah. Right? <laughs> the ones that are laughing are the ones that ask me that question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm laughing with you. Because when I get a question like that, I, I suddenly giggle inside, you know, but I'm being very serious and professional, you know. But inside, I'm like, you're ridiculous to ask me that question. Well, how far is too far? You're asking your pastor that. What do you think the answer is? Stupid. <laughs> You've gone too far. You want to toe the line. You want to get right on it. You want to say, well, I could do this, right? I could drink, go, go have fun. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, go ahead and drink and see if you don't get drunk. Okay, It happens. So we don't go near that. We don't do it. Not in this church. I'm going to say this because I know, I know this to be a fact. Some of you have done some really stupid stuff because you had a drink. Okay? And so we don't do that. So if you come to me and ask, well, how come our church doesn't drink? Here's your answer. Don't ask us. Because you're just trying to toe the line. You're just like the person that asks, how far is too far? We flee from sin in this church. We're always going to tell you to flee from sin. Okay? And we're going to do it lovingly. And when you're wrong, we're going to say, you didn't flee from sin. You fell into it. You need to repent. You need to confess. And we're going to help you through that. Because sin is right there, just like David. Do you think David counseled with anybody? Hey, uh, you know, I saw this girl, t- you know, it's on the roof. It, um, You know, this is why we have accountability, right? Like, uh, what he should have done is gone to Nathan the prophet. Because Nathan would have set him straight. He would have been like, listen, I know you're king, but you're also being stupid right now. Your flesh is getting the best of you. That's why we encourage relationships, because relationships, true relationships, don't allow us to cut corners. We don't mess around with stuff like that. Because when we mess around with stuff like that, we start to lie about things, right? Covering things up. It turns into a web of lies to where you can't even track them anymore. Sin turns circumstances into a web of lies. You have to have several lies to cover the truth. Some of you are really good at that. And so if you're writing down lies, you're in a dark place. You have character issues. You need to fix that. You know, we, we, we try to gain salvation... By cutting corners, you know, and, and, and trying to, to get away with things with our destructive behavior and not allowing God to change our behavior. If you're cutting corners, you haven't experienced the freedom of God. You have never experienced true repentance. Because if you've been there and you've been in a dark place, and you've messed up, and you've confessed it, and you have true repentance, you understand what freedom feels like at that moment. You say, pastor or leader, I messed up. Let me tell you what I did. I'm ready for the consequences. I want healing. And when you experience that healing, God begins to remove the darkest depths of your heart. And he begins to plant something loving inside of you. You start to see his grace. You start to see his loving and careness. And yes, it's probably a dark time, and the con- you're not absolved of the consequences, like our pastor says. You're never absolved of consequences, but you're feeling Is right. You're feeling in good standing with the Lord. Yes, I've confessed something. Yes, I've come to the truth. Yes, I'm asking for true healing and repentance. When you begin to feel that, it begins to open up something so beautiful in life where you could begin to connect with God. Where you didn't connect with God, now you can. You know, when David began to cover things up, He was trying to stop the consequences. That's what we do we try to cover things up. We try to lie to ourselves, because we can lie to ourselves, right? It starts to cost us something. Now I think I've mentioned this before in one of my sermons, but I used to watch this show. I'm not promoting it. Okay, don't don't say, Pastor Rob told me to watch this. No, I'm not. I'm not saying. It's before I was a pastor. Um, I used to watch this show, Chernobyl. It was a series, I believe, on HBO, and it, it was cool. It was about the, um, it was about a, a nuclear explosion that took place in like 1983 in Ukraine, and they tried to cover everything, or it was Russia, sorry, at that time. They tried to cover everything up, and it turned into this web of lies. And every time they open up the show, there's the question is, what is the cost of lies? I want you to think about that. What is the cost of a lie? Not just a lie to, to, to somebody else, but maybe a lie to yourself. What does that cost, right? And so, me and Pastor Omar, uh, you know, I tell him about the show. We were watching it in tandem, and we just we 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 enjoyed it because the philosophy was heavy. But what is the cost of lies? And so, I decided to ask ChatGPT this question. Okay, if you guys know what ChatGPT is, if you don't, it's a it's a bot. Okay, it's an AI, artificial intelligence. So I said, you know, what does artificial intelligence have to say? What the cost of lies is. And it gave me the most profound answer to the point where I got chills. I said, honey, come here. <laughs> and she wasn't as excited as I was, but I, I was like, this bot knows everything. <laughs> Check this out. Let me read it to you. This is ChatGPT's answers to the cost of lies. And I, this couldn't be farther from the truth. I want you to listen. I'm going to read it slow. Lies can lead to mis- misunderstandings broken relationships, and even conflicts between individuals and nations. They can erode trust, create fear and uncertainty, and impede social progress. Ultimately, the cost of lives is immeasurable as it affects not only the present, but also the future. Shaping the way people perceive the world and interacting with each other. That's a heavy definition. That is the cost of lies. It is immeasurable. I would go on to say, it's a, it, what is the toll of dishonesty? It's a heavy price. It's a price that is immeasurable. When you begin to lie to yourself and you begin to tell yourself, well, God doesn't understand. Or um, the church doesn't want to hear my problems. Or when the enemy starts to feed you lies and you start to adopt them, it's coming as a cost. It's coming as a cost to your soul. It's coming as a cost to everything that is good in your life, that God wants to do. It's going to cost you everything. In other words, you have no longer have control because you've already paid that cost with lies. When the enemy tells you, oh, people at church don't care about you. People at church don't want to spend time with you. People at church don't love you. These are lies that the enemy likes to spread because he doesn't want you to have a community that is built built around righteousness. He wants you to have his community that is you and him. So he can continue to feed you lies. And he's going to lean on your flesh. He's not going to lean on your spirit. He's going to lean into your flesh and he's going to tell you they don't care about you. You don't need to do all that. You can go have a few drinks. You can go ahead and do this. Your wife doesn't love you anyways. So what is the cost of lies in your own life? It's immeasurable, isn't it? And so that's what the enemy's out to do. He's out to lie to you. There's a moment in scripture where Jesus, he's going from synagogue to synagogue in his ministry in Galilee. And so as he's going to synagogue to synagogue, he's pretty awesome, he's like an evangelist, he's just preaching. He's reading scrolls. He's doing his thing. And he gets to uh, his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes to the Nazareth synagogue. And he reads this. They hand him a parchment to read. And he just has to go with it. So he's going to read this parchment that they give him. And he's going to go up. He's going to read it. And something takes place. Check this out. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth. And where he had been brought up, and his custom was he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. When he had unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recover, recovery of sight to the blind, to set At liberty, those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Does that verse sound familiar? Because it was the first verse I read to you today. This is what Isaiah said. Now look what happens. I don't think I gave this to the team, but in verse 20, it goes on to say, then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all those who were there in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that wasn't Isaiah's words. It was God's words the whole time. And what Jesus is reading is a profound statement saying, I am here to fulfill the scripture. I am here to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Some of you are oppressed today. You're dealing with the oppression of sin in your life. You could have an addiction. You could have a serious problem with serving the Lord where it's hard to lift your hands. It's hard to read the Bible. It's hard to like Christians. It's hard to hear the words of Scripture. You tune me out. You want to do your own thing. But you have to realize, just like they realized in that synagogue, who Jesus is you have to realize that Jesus is the only one that can give us freedom. He's the only one that can bring us to a place of freedom in our lives. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, By this we know that we know him, that if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly has the love of God perfected in him. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says he remains in him ought to walk as he walked. It's not enough to say that you believe. It's not enough to open up your Bible and just read it. It literally means that you have to live it out. Paul talks about this in one of his last letters in Philippians chapter 1. It's like an introduction to the letter. He says this, For I know that through your prayer and the support of of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this this will result in my deliverance. Accordingly, it is my my earnest expectation and my hope that I shall be ashamed in nothing, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. For to me, to continue living is Christ, and to die is to gain. To die is to gain. You know, Pastor Isaac, I believe, read a similar, same verse, I think, for his offering. We didn't plan that. But some of you need to hear it this morning. You need to die to yourself. So how do you gain control? You're gonna die to yourself. Pastor Rob, how do I gain control of this situation? You're gonna die to yourself. You're gonna remove yourself from it. Pastor Rob, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Pastor Omar, I'm going through this. Pastor Isaac, I need your help. This happened, this happened. You're going to die to yourself. That's what you're going to do. Because if you do that, you'll gain the control that you need. See, a lot of us, we're walking with God, but not the way we should be. I'm going to ask Pastor Isaac if he can come up. I kind of threw this on him last minute today, and I say I might use you. But Pastor Isaac, can you just stand right here? just face right there. Just face face the team right there. See, some of us, I want you to pretend Pastor Isaac's Jesus. Now, I know that's not very hard. (laughs) I said I needed someone big and strong, you know, Jesus. (laughs) So, listen, some of us, no, I want you to listen to this, okay? Some of us, God is walking in front of us, which means he's in front, but you're keeping a distance. You're kind of like, Stiff arming him a little bit, like I mean you're kind of following him, but you're not gonna get to his pace. You're not you're not gonna go all the way next to him. You're just not gonna do it. And then some of you, you you have Jesus, you know Jesus, you know he's there, right? But he's behind you. So you're living your life like you're just walking ahead of him. Like God, hey, Jesus, come come here. Just take two more steps. Follow me. Hey, God, I'm gonna go in this direction. Jesus, I want you to follow me now. In other words, what the Bible's telling us to do is we have to be right here. Say, hey, God, what next what where's the next step? So we can take it together. We're, what direction should we go in so I can go in the same direction so I can be beside you or you know what I'm back here but you know what God we're going to do this now We're gonna, from now on we're going to be right here man whatever you need I'm going to walk with you and the same goes for if you're walking in front Some of you just need to look back and say, I haven't done enough. My life's with you, man. You can sit down, Pastor Isaac, thank you so much. Those of you who've already put it together, you know where you stand. You know where you position Christ. A lot of people aren't walking beside him. I say that as your brother. A lot of people are not walking beside him. Some of us are just going through the motions, and some of you are just walking a little too fast. Some of you are walking a little too slow. When you need to start walking in the pace of the Lord, in the rhythm of spirituality, you need to be in that rhythm. Jesus says this in John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to bow your heads with me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.